Welcome to Game of Books Podcast. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. And I'm Christy in South Florida. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and mystery through interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors. And our virtual book club. And even our fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us on today's adventure. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Carter Wilson. Yes, I am so excited to be talking with him today. Um, so, you know, I first became a fan of him and his writing at Thriller Fest 2019. And he was on this panel and I was at one of the sessions and I bought his book, Mr. Tender's Girl. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, wouldn't it be fun to have him on our podcast sometime? And then look, look at where, <laughs> where we are now. Well, destiny. <laughs> I know. Right. And I am now a fan, although I was at Thriller with you in 2019 when we actually could attend in person. And yeah. I was at a different session. I remember us talking about that. But now I am also a fan. Um, after reading uh, Carter's about to be released, The Dead Husband, if you're watching us on YouTube, I'm pulling up this great cover. I love the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, I'm also a fan of Carter's newsletters, which we'll talk about a little bit later. They're pretty great. Um, so let's um, get into some background on Carter before we actually let him chime in. Carter is the USA Today and number one Denver Post bestselling author, has written seven critically acclaimed standalone psychological thrillers, including The Dead Girl in 2A and Mr. Tender's Girl, as Christy showed us, as well as numerous short stories. He's an ITW Thriller Award finalist a four-time winner of the Colorado Book Award, and his novels have received multiple star reviews from Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Library Journal, which is a big deal if you're not, but it is a big deal, just trust us. Um, And he lives outside Boulder, Colorado. His newest novel, The Dead Husband, is what we are calling a triumph of domestic suspense, right, (laughs) here it is, and perfect for spring and summer reading. It will be released on May 4th, so you can pre-order it now and read it right away when it comes into your mailbox on May 4th. And Carter just let us know that he's launching a podcast this May called Making It Up, and we will talk to him about that as well. Publishers Weekly did say, by the way, that (laughs) The Dead Husband is an enthralling thriller. Wilson infuses his terrifying plot with intricate twists and turns, all totally credible. So... Welcome, Carter. It's great talking with you today. Kathy and Christy, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. All right. So before we get started, Carter, we usually talk about the wine because really <laughs> you're just kind of a impetus to get us to talk. Sure about <laughs> yeah. <wine. laughs> yeah. I'm glad I can do yeah. my part. <laughs> yes. And Carter said he liked a Malbec ordinarily. Um, yep. Today, you know, he might not be sharing with us because he's <laughs> reached a milestone. Um, you want to tell them? What, yeah. What well, so, so my, my drinking habit is, 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 you know, mm-hmm. as is probably typical for most writers is consistent. Um, <laughs> and, and I usually write in the evenings and I start and I have a cocktail while I write. And then, you know, as, as the night goes on, I just have, you know, some, some wine. And then, you know, 
after COVID, you're like, where did these 10 pounds come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> and why do I feel so crappy all the time? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I, I didn't do a dry January, but I did a, a, a dry um, mid-March through now. So today's day 30. And it's, it is pretty impressive what you, the differences that you see with yeah. sleep, with, you know, your um, blood pressure and your heart rate. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. So um, I know, I, mean, I know. And I did try the same thing. I thought I might not be drinking today too, but uh, I don't know, stress, um, a lot <laughs> yeah. going on. So guess what? I got a, I got a bottle of Mal back here. Mine's yeah. thousand lives. Isn't that pretty? Oh, for that's a great see. label. It's got yeah. that, like a psychedelic elephant and it was only six ninety nine at Total oh. Wine. We That's have total great. wine down here. Kathy doesn't have it up there. I do not have it. I, I live in South Dakota. We don't have much for options for. <laughs> but you do have Costco. See, I don't have a Costco. I do an hour away. And that's what I'm drinking is I, my favorite uh, Malbec is actually from Costco. Because oh. I like inexpensive wine too. It's the Kirkland Malbec. Okay. And mine was like under nine bucks, but um, it's a, a very nice Malbec as well. So I'm going to taste mine. Sorry, Carter. Uh, we'll tell you what it tastes like. I, I, I think week two was the week that it would be like, uh, I could really go for a glass of wine right now, but yeah. now, now I'm okay. I will say the disadvantage in terms of weight loss hasn't, you know, is that whereas, you know, having a glass of wine would maybe quell some of my cravings at night before I have dinner or whatever. Now I'm just hungry. So then I, yeah. I find like I'm snacking on stuff more than I was so for weight loss. Not so great, but uh, I did, I did reasons, notice that good. too. It was like, um, when I would have gotten a glass of wine, if I, ate something, then I wouldn't want the glass of wine as much, but then I'm eating something. So I don't know. Right. I guess right. No. it's the sugars in the, in the alcohol that, that some, you know, they're giving you the calories that help with that at least. So. All right. So maybe after, after our podcast ends next, next week, then, then we'll try again. Yeah. I think you yeah. try with me. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not committing. Sounds to good. I'm just saying <laughs> if you are having your moment. That's great. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I, let's get started the questions then. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, the first question I have is um, the dead husband is told from two points of view, Rose Yates, who's returned to her father's home with her son after her husband's death and detective Colin Pearson, a detective hot on Rose's trail. So you chose um, to tell Rose's story from first person point of view and the detectives from third person point of view. Did you have a reason for that? Can you tell us why you did that? Yeah, I love thinking about point of view. And and I'm a huge fan of first person present tense, um, particularly from a female perspective. I've written a few books like that. And I love the immediacy. And I love that you don't you only know what they know, what they see, what they hear smell in that moment. They don't know what's around the corner. Um, so whenever I'm going for that immediacy field, that's where I kind of delve into. And, and it's kind of more rare that I actually have a second point of view. So when I do, I usually try to try to distinguish it and have a little bit more distance between it almost to kind of show like, this isn't the main person, but this person's important. Mm -hmm. Um, so Colin represented that for me. I wanted to be a little bit more analytical with him and less in his immediate voice. Um, and you play around with it a little bit, but that's what felt the most comfortable for me. Well, I liked it. I liked how that went. And I like, I like both the characters really. It's actually kind of weird. You know, <laughs> you, you didn't like, hate any of them. You, you like, no, you, you like them, but you're like, boy, they shouldn't have done that. Or that's terrible. That, ha you know, but you like them. I like them. 
Yeah, and I think what what I struggle with sometimes when I'm reading is, you know, you get into that other character that you don't like quite as much and you understand their importance, but then you're like, I want to go back, I want to go back. Right. So with Colin, I didn't ever spend too much time with no. him. Like there was enough so you know what he was doing and enough to know who he was as a person. Mm-hmm. But if you really wanted to see what was happening with Rose, you didn't have to wait too long. And that was that is a my, good point. Yeah. yeah, that was out of my own how I read books and what I like mm-hmm. about books, uh-huh. and also not usually having the second voice so so much in a book. Mm-hmm. You know, they were so um, they became very intertwined their experiences, and there was a lot of synchronicity there that kind of started lining up. That was really cool um, as it came together. And I was trying to go back and like separate how you kind of built that. And I, I really thought that was masterful. Oh, well, thank you. A lot of it was unintentional. I don't, <laughs> I don't outline. I don't really know what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, a hundred percent. I'm not just saying that. I literally don't know what I'm doing. I feel and, you. <laughs> and, I, and I start with that. I just start with an opening scene that I see in my mind. And I don't know who these people are or why they're doing what they're doing or, or where it goes. Um, and so as I started to develop Colin, I think subconsciously, I started to realize like, oh, geez, they have a lot in common that I didn't really uh-huh. think about, um, that I, I think I was just kind of doing unintentionally. But then as it kind of came out, oh, wow, they have these like pasts that are very similar. Then I went back and tried to kind of understand it more and maybe massage it a little bit at that point. So after you kind of pants your way through your first draft, you then go back and kind of try to figure out what yeah a lot i mean i'll know the ending probably about 80 percent in i'll be like oh okay and about 70 percent, i'll be like oh this is what this book is about here's the major theme that this book is it's about x y or z that i didn't quite see i was just you know i just spend so much time just like here's this person and i'm just throwing stuff at them and seeing how they react to it hopefully the plot kind of unfolds yeah sometimes it's a nightmare sometimes you get kind of three-fourths of the way done you're like this book makes zero sense. Right. You really have to do a lot of heavy surgery on it. And I've tried to outline before. It's just not, I, I immediately deviate from that because the, the, the joyous part of writing to me is sitting down and be like, what happens today? You know, and mm. that whole act of discovery is kind of cool. And, and you might know generally where it's going, but then your brain tells you, no, 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 they get hit by a car right now. What happened? <laughs> if they got hit by a car, how would that change things? And you get, have them get hit by a car. And you're like, oh, it either works or it doesn't. But And when it works, you're like, oh, that's so interesting. It totally mm-hmm. changes the dynamic. And I never would have been able to outline that. So um, so it's just more fun for me to write that way. Well, that's interesting. It's- it is. That stresses me out even hearing it. Like, you don't know. It makes me itch a little bit. I was like, I'm like, I thought I was like more of, a, you know, a, I was a pantser, but I'm not quite that much. I like at least kind of know what's going to happen. And then I just have fun with how it gets there. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll know like two or three chapters ahead of time, generally what they're going to do. And that's about it. But it's, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it ties. So that's actually how I started writing. I started writing on a day when I was 33, like with zero experience ever in writing, zero classes. I gave myself a riddle and I tried to answer it just to kind of quell some boredom. And that turned into a 400 page manuscript. And I, again, no idea what I was doing, but that's to today. That's how I write. I open with a chapter that I don't know anything about. And I spend the rest of the book trying to figure out what that opening chapter was all about. And it's just, it's just fun for me that way. And, and, and I'm not really capable of doing it any other way. So, <laughs> well, it's working I'm, for I'm, you. I'm, so, I'm stuck yeah. with it. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing working. that you 
must have though had some clue that it's going to be in a small town because you've you've uh, created this setting right that is a small town kind of um oh affluent right quiet yes. um uh burry berry or berry which yeah. one is it which one are we going to do we talked about it it's, it's Barry, yeah. Barry. It was well. It was the first time I created my own fictional town. Was it? Um, yeah, I've never done that before, and I and I rarely write about places I know. Um, so I usually set them in places I want to discover more. And this time, you know, I, Mr. Tinder's Girl, one of the previous novels, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I really like, and I went there to research, and I really like that area. There's 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 a folksiness and a creepiness that are <laughs> heavily intertwined in New England. <laughs> Can't have one without the other. Um, no, you really can't, and you shouldn't. Um, so, yeah, and then I came up with a name because I was just looking up names of towns in, in England just randomly, and, and there was a Barry England. I'm like, oh, that's a great name. It's for town. perfect, yeah. So, um, so it's not you know, totally it's interesting fictional. But... This story couldn't have happened in a like an urban setting. Like, it couldn't have happened in Denver or in, you know. No, Manchester. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it. So... Um, you knew that's where you wanted to kind of small and creepy, but also nice. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, nice can be creepy too, right? Yeah. So affluent. Um, I, I, I love know, the I idea. Got some friends. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you, I like that kind of like uh, affluent suburb that, you know, there's a lot of secrets. I mean, it's a little cliched, obviously, but like, I, I just yeah. like that because I think it's absolutely true. I mm -hmm. think I, I think behind those walls, behind those doors, there's a lot of shit happening, and mm -hmm. and I'm like, this is going to be the place where I'm going to peel some of that back, um, and so that that was fun for me to do. That sounds like fun. It, yeah, I'm I'm from a pretty small <laughs> town, and I can I mean I feel like in a small town people talk a lot, but I also think you have the luxury of holding a lot back, and it's a weird um, combination. It is, and, and the other challenge is you don't want it to be. For me, I didn't want it to be so small that everybody knew everything about everyone. There's still yeah. people you've never seen them before. You know, I live in a town in Colorado that's, um, you know, outside of Denver and outside of Boulder. And it's, you know, 25,000 people, so relatively small. But, mm -hmm. you know, so you definitely know people, but most of the people you don't. And I didn't want it to be quite that big, but, you know, I wanted there to be, you know, anonymity if you wanted it. So. Especially if there's a snowstorm. Right, right, right. That's that's exactly right. I was like, this is a guy who knows snow because I know snow. <laughs> Christy does not know snow. I don't know snow. But I I thought this is a writer who knows snow. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been around a decent amount of snow in my life. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're this is usually the time um, where we yeah grab your little urn there. Christy likes to ask the it's not an urn. No. It's a carafe. Sorry. <laughs> like she's talking most most dead urns aren't people. Clear. <laughs> <laughs> Although there's a market for that. I know, right? Sorry. Don't ever miss your loved one. Get these clear <laughs> urns. <laughs> Got an idea. Okay. All right. So did you tell him what it was? Or did I interrupt you? Where I'm gonna ask you a question mm -hmm. from <laughs> it's like the question at the bottom of a bottle. So we call it like the question in a bottle, like that you no, would get like the worm to, in the like, tequila bottle. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're oh, eating the worm like, and then somebody gives you a question. And, and like I said, <laughs> if you don't like it, we can pick a different one, but anyway. Okay. So what obstacles would be included in the world's most amazing obstacle course? 
Oh, that's kind of fun. I get the yeah, uh, like well, obstacles in an obstacle course. Oh, that's not the question for me. I'm glad you got it. <laughs> I, I think you, I, I think a real obstacle course has to have elements of that show fear factor where you have to eat. Something. Oh no. It can't just be physical. It has, it can't just be, you have to climb a wall. No, you have to eat like the intestines of a pig <laughs> oh, or, 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 or yeah. a live grasshopper or something. Like I would that. totally fail then. Because then you, th yeah, then you really winnow out kind of the people who <laughs> The, the tough guys who are like no problem and like oh no but you know pink testicles and they're like i'm out so yeah that would i, I be would good add obstacle. that like you know and i was thinking something like you know i, I think a, i would make something up like, like what land-based piranhas that you have oh, to run right. through or something or you have to execute somebody <laughs> Where, oh, how bad how bad would that's you want to win this race right <laughs> yeah I, the new it, Hunger Games, right there. Woo. That's right. Um, doesn't James Corden do something with gross food or gross things to eat when he asks people ask people questions on his show? Oh, I think I've seen. Yeah, I think I've seen. I would believe good. that. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, all right. So now I'd be, I'd be you know, up, man. Sorry, but I'm going to take a sip of wine now. Yeah. No. Right after pig testicles, you swim. No. I'm okay, okay. So, Christy, I know this next question we were going to talk about kind of harkens back to what. Carter was talking about a minute ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you had mentioned that when you first started writing and you wrote that 400 words or pages or whatever, 400 words. Yeah, I got done. In oh, I'm a writer. Oh, can you tell? Like, I mean, we're the ones drinking wine and he's not because, you know. All right. So you were bored at a conference. It was actually at a continuing education class for an appraisal license I used to own. Okay, that explains it. It was it was like an eight hour. <laughs> I don't need to be here kind of class. Because I was thinking, uh, you know, we have so much fun at our conferences. I don't think we yeah. would be. You know, but, no, I yeah, wasn't no. at a conference. <laughs> okay, all right. So, um, also, when we're talking back to the beginning, you you said that you had three or four books that weren't published before you sold your first book that That's you had right. written three or four. And um, which I think is good news for writers, I think, because it Practice is hard books. to get published. Yeah. Realistic, probably. And, and, and they and they probably shouldn't have been published. So it was, you know, I think that's important, too, is like, I, you know, I know people who they write a book and then they, they either struggle to get an agent or they get it published and they self-publish. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it's not ready for the world. Right. So I right. learned a lot through. I mean, I preach the value of rejection all the time because there's one a lot of it <laughs> in the publishing yeah. industry and two there's a lot to be learned from it so mm -hmm. um you know if you can if you can you know eject your ego a little bit and just embrace what people are telling you from different viewpoints and know how to kind of digest that and see what makes sense and use that to your advantage as a writer it's it's tremendous because it's tons of thousands of dollars worth of free advice um, right. So, you know, I really think it's now, of Listen course, to if our I podcast, my first, everybody, because you will right. get that free advice. <laughs> so, did you, so Carter, you had secured an agent, right? But you just didn't sell those first few books. Is that right? Yeah. But I, so I got an agent with my first book, but that was, you know, after a year and 75 rejections. So, you know, I, oh. and I, I was learning, I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. That's how Kathy and I started. That's why we started this whole thing. We were at a conference and we're like, we don't know what's going on. And so we started right. blogging and 
learned a lot. We're still not published, but we're getting there. But you but know? isn't that essential? Because what yeah. I've what I've learned, and I have a very strong business background, which was tremendously helpful, is that you know it is it is a it's an industry, it's a business, and and as an author, writing is just one element. You know, mm -hmm. being part of a team that's publishing books, you have a responsibility, and you have to have, you know interpersonal relationships, and you have to establish. Um, you know, uh, um, just uh, relationships with people at conferences and getting to all that stuff is like what you guys are doing, how many people you know now because of yeah, what yeah. you've done through your podcast is crazy. And that's so that, you know, that all is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, you it just the idea that you're sitting in a box writing and, and your, your stuff is magic and you send it off and the gods will do what they want with it is kind of BS. Like you, yeah. you know, you have to market, you have to understand PR, you, all that mm -hmm. stuff is really mm -hmm. critical. Yeah. So, so when you, so you, you finally secure an agent, right? You've got yeah. your first book. It doesn't sell agent. Finally, at some point says, we're just going to cut our losses. I'm not sending it out anymore. Right. You start on number two and then same. Oh, thing I started at number two, like halfway into that rejection process. Cause I panicked because, you know, again, not knowing anything about the industry, I'm like, you know, if yeah. she had told me, look, I'm going to send this to about, you know, 15 to 20 places that I'm tight with. And so I knew once rejection 10 was in, I'm like, holy shit, I, I, mean, I get, yeah. you know, why would she not drop me if everybody says no? Like, why there's, so right. I furiously wrote a second book. And then we got into a rhythm. It was like rejections take about a year. And then I would have a book done by the end of that. Okay. Um, and then, but after those three full books were rejected, I went through and looked at all of, you know, these New York editors were reading my book, which was amazing and writing me three or four paragraphs about why they didn't like it. And I started to really take that to heart. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe my heroes aren't strong enough and I'll figure that out. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, and then my fourth book sold to a very, very small publisher that subsequently went out of business after it came out, but hey man, my book came out and then I, Everything I do is goal setting. So I just like, hey, my next goal is just to get a little bit bigger. I'm not gonna be huge, just get a little bit bigger and uh -huh. make make the right choices and 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 try to you know get stronger as a writer and and take advice and you know well. And that's kind of been my goal all along is just get a little bit bigger each time. Um, mm -hmm. so you know, there's ups and downs, but it's you know, it's it's been fairly steady. But the consistent improvement, I think, is you know. Right. We can't be in this business for the short term. It's got to be the long term. Right. And I find that so interesting, you know, that like, even though now looking back, I'm sure at the time it just sucked, you know, like just hard. But gosh, think what you learned during that time when mm -hmm. you're waiting to get to that. Yeah, point. totally. I mean, it wasn't too hard for me because I, you know, as much of an ego as I have, I think throughout my life, <laughs> I have zero writing ego. And because I had no business writing. Um, so every time I got a rejection, it was like, well, of course you rejected me. <laughs> I have no right to be here. Thank you for even knowing that I exist as a human being. Right. Um, so, and that's not to say I haven't had some disappointments where I really thought something was going to work and it didn't, but generally speaking, um, you know, I've been very absorbing of advice. And of course, a lot of it's how good your editor is. And I've had tremendous editorial notes where I'm like, yeah, you are right on 99% of this stuff. And the 1% we don't agree on is completely minor. Mm -hmm. um, so because you you get so far into your book, you you yeah, I'll give you an example. I've gone what's coming out next year, I went through a whole phase again, this is probably having that cocktail and writing at night. <laughs> I'm writing about a dude who's slowly going crazy inside a house. 
And I loved writing this. I was so attached to his slow loss of grip on reality. And then when my editor saw it, she's like, it's, it's fine, but it's too, it's way too much. It's way too much inside his head. And I'm like, you're totally right. Like I, yeah, cause I had so much fun writing that I lost perspective of like, you know, the reader gets it. They get it. He's going crazy. <laughs> so, him over the head. <laughs> right. And I'm like, thank you. I needed, I, I didn't have that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so critique groups are critical too. And just, mm -hmm. and also having the judgment to know, like, you know, whose advice, because you're going to get conflicting advice all the time, whose advice resonates with you right. and, and whose advice doesn't. And that's a little bit trickier and that takes years to, to develop and sometimes you're wrong anyway. But listening to mm -hmm. people, I think, is, is very important. Mm -hmm. So good I, advice. I'm yeah, listening. Good advice. I, so I mentioned <laughs> at the outset, I um, really enjoy your newsletters. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I, I put a, I, lot of, a lot of time into them, so I appreciate I can tell you do. And I, um, Dana Kay was who had turned me on to. Oh, okay. And yeah. um, I, you do put a lot of time into them and they are, they're, they're worth the read. You know, it's not a skim, there's good content there. And um, you really spoke to my soul a couple months ago because oh. you started talking about productivity and I'm a hmm. productivity nerd, like, oh, I love that stuff. <laughs> Christy get like looked at her, she's rolling her eyes. She's like, oh no, no, I, I like productivity, not <laughs> oh. I like to pro <laughs> so I got the, I got the books, you know, about it. <laughs> <laughs> so so one of them you were talking about passion and you gave a formula for happiness. And I really want to talk to you about that. Um, you said that passion plus commitment equals happiness. And I I want to talk about those parts of the equation because some are easier than others. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, got the passion down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and everyone's different, right? But but for me, because I get asked this a lot, like how do you, because I have a full-time job as well, um, because we all know how how great Don't writing Don't put your day is. job, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> which I 100% I believe in. And you know, I like health insurance too. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I, I get, I do get irked at the, yeah, I just don't have time to do this. I don't have time. And, and I'm like, that's, that's just a cop out, man. Like you, you, there is time there. You have, if you have time to watch TV, which I do, uh, you have time to do this or that. And if you're not doing it, what else look inside yourself? What else is it about it that why you're not, what roadblocks are you throwing up? And, and a lot of times it's the passion. I just, deep down, I want to be a writer, but I don't really like doing it. You know, I see that a lot. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a lot of things I would love to be that I don't have a passion or aptitude for, or a commitment to. Um, but if you do have that, you can find time. So for me, I write an hour a day, that's it. And it's maybe 500 words, it's maybe zero words. Um, but I can get a book done in a year because I do it every single day because I love doing it. I love escaping to that world every day. Um, and there are other things, you know, guitar I gave up on, you know, because I wanted to be a cool guy who could play the guitar and I took lessons for a few years and then I stopped because I just didn't have the passion for it, but mm -hmm. I could, I have to, I could figure out time if I wanted to. So I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in doing something consistently and doing the things that you love to do. Um, and, and I do think that that produces happiness. Yeah. I like that too, that you said you know, you do it one hour a day. I mean, it's everybody, I love to hear everybody's process, you know, all these different writers we talk about, but it is true. You know, you, you can find an hour, 
you can find an hour usually. I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it is so interesting to me too, as I'm starting to talk to other writers about, you know, there, there, there are some full-time writers, you know, who mm -hmm. their day is six hours of writing. And I can't even wrap my brain around that because I know what my quality would be after hour one. And it's, you know, it's a muscle you build it like anything else. Um, but, but the idea of doing that to me is, is, is insane, but they're able to produce a book in two months. And that's, that's amazing. Um, and some people will take them longer, but I've seen so many people give up on writing because of what looks to me like an excuse. Like mm -hmm. it just wasn't right. Well, I don't care. No book is perfect. Most books <laughs> stink, you know, mm -hmm. but to get it done is awesome. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So just get it done and then you can go back and, and analyze it and see if you liked it and see what can be fixed. Um, but a lot of it is just, like I said, throwing up rope roadblocks. I mean, I'm, I'm no psychotherapist, but that's how I, that's how I interpret it through my own kind of vision of things. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your podcast. We love talking about new podcasts. Well, so thank you for like giving me the chance to, because yeah. it's, it's coming out in May, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's a passion project. It's not under the realm of like, I'm going to get thousands and thousands of listeners, but I'm, I'm super interested in people in general. I think everybody has a story and you know, if I'm at a cocktail party, I'm the guy who will corner you and be like, tell me your deepest fear. <laughs> I so want to know. Is it being locked and being fed <laughs> Or just, I, I don't, I'm not one for small talk. So I will get personal with people very quickly, <laughs> whether they want to or not. Um, and I love talking to writers about, you know, what were, you, what were your parents like? You know, what, what did you do when you were seven that was kind of crazy? Um, like, why did you become a writer? Like whether it's nonfiction or whatever. So it's a podcast focused on kind of, um, the origin story of, of different writers across all different genres. And then at the end of it, there's a universal theme where we make up a story. I pick a random book and a random sentence from the bookshelves behind me. And we start with that sentence and we alternate for three to five minutes. And it's super, so it's super fun because, <laughs> and it's so interesting to see the chemistry, how you play off somebody else and where it goes and shifting points of view, shifting characters. I just did one the other day where I was talking from a male point of view and she was talking from a female point of view, a married couple. And it's always shifting every sentence from her. Oh. I'm like, this is great. It was <laughs> so interesting. So anyway, that's why it's called making it up. Um, and, and yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. Well, really exciting. We can't wait. Yep. Yeah. All right. We got one final question for Carter. Sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is a question that appeases our mysterious foodies out there that would love your obstacle course, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it is which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, there's a lot of characters I would like to share drinks with. <laughs> a lot of my characters are big time drinkers. Um, but I, yeah, I'm going to have to go Alice from Mr. Tender's Girl, who's the protagonist, simply because, because she was a, a victim of a horrible stabbing when she was young. She doesn't use knives. Um, so I'd like to have dinner with her and be served a steak and see how she tries to navigate that option. I'm picking it up. <laughs> right. So she actually has her butcher pre-cut her food, her steaks for her. 
uh, when she when she shops, but uh, I don't know what she does at a restaurant. She that is a fact. I know. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to write your answer, but that's really creative. <laughs> I have a meal with someone who cannot pick up their food appropriately. <laughs> hey, hey, just for the amusement of it. <laughs> oh, this is go caveman movie. style. So, Carter, if our listeners have any questions about you or want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, my website for sure, carterwilson.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter there and uh, I'll have my episodes of my podcast kind of be a launching pad there as well. All right. That great. sounds great. And we'll, of course, put the links on our, our website and um, it's been fun, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate uh, sure. our, our chat and it's always, it's always fun to talk about writing. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe long. maybe once we get published, we can be on your we can be on your podcast because that, that sounds like fun. Hundred percent, that would be that would be great. I have I haven't done an interview with two people at once, so that would be. Oh, great. there you oh, go. Yeah, the dead husband okay. comes out May fourth, and this episode will launch a little bit before that. So pre-order it wherever you get your books. Hopefully, indie oh. booksellers. <laughs> all right. So awesome. all we have left is like a little bit of a cheers. We can do it with water. He's pouring more wine, I see. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I have my Colorado water bottle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cheers. Thanks, you too. I really appreciate <laughs> the you. time. Thanks for joining us on today's adventure. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube, where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter or enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.